Second Peter chapter one is we're going to be studying together today. Second Peter chapter one. I have not been able to get that thought out of my brain for the last few minutes about Jesus was born to die. You think about that for a second. Jesus was born to die. If you knew that you were going to be born only to die 30-ish years later, would you want to be born? Maybe some of you would, maybe some of you wouldn't. Jesus knew. Jesus knew he was good because he's God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and following. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew where, where he was. He knew what he was leaving. He knew where he was going. There was a history. It's not like the earth was brand new on that day, right, when Jesus was born. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do. And he was willing to do it anyway because John, the book of John tells us that it wasn't, it's never been about Jesus. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 would tell us that Paul is writing and sharing the thoughts of Jesus in essence and, and saying, I understand it's never been about me. Let this mind be in you. He, he's saying, okay, people, Christians in particular, Christians have the mind of Jesus. Well, what was the mind of Jesus? Don't make it about you. Don't make life about you. Find something greater than yourself and get involved in it. And that is exactly what Jesus did. It wasn't about him. He found a purpose greater than himself, if you will. And he got engaged. What was that purpose? Look at one another. You might pull out your phone and use the photography app and then hit that little button in the corner there that flips the screen around and you see yourself. That's what it's about. That's what his purpose was and is about. It is about us. I couldn't help but think of, of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 when, when Jesus was there in the shadow of the cross and, and he was telling his disciples, it's not going to be very long now, I'm going to die. I, I'm, I'm going to go through the death. The, the birth has happened, but I'm going to go through the death and Peter jumps up and says, no, it's not going to happen. It's over my dead body. I can almost see Peter saying that. Those weren't his words, but in essence, that's what he was saying. Over my dead body, it's not going to happen. And Peter was willing to lay down his life for Jesus, and later he would lay down his life for Jesus and when they came to take Jesus Peter was the one who drew the sword and I don't think it was his plan to take off Malchus's ear in that moment that's what he did 
over my, it's not going to happen. And I can see Jesus saying in his mind's eye, all right, Peter, put that sword away. Put it, put it away, Matthew chapter 16. Put the sword away. It is going to happen. Don't be like Satan. Don't stand in the way of progress. And then Jesus would say to Peter and the other disciples on that occasion, and he would say, whoever saves his life is going to lose it. But in contrast, he that loses his life for my sake, he will find it. So what is that saying? It's saying that you and I were born to die. Jesus was born to die. You and I were born to make a choice to give up our life, to sacrifice our life and, and our will for Jesus. That's why we find words like what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, where he says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. What does sacrifice imply? It implies death. Maybe not physical death in that moment, but it implies a death. I'm giving up myself. I'm dying to myself in order to live unto Christ. And so Peter was being reminded of that in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, I'm, yeah, I was born to die, but Peter, so were you. And aren't we glad that Peter died to himself so that he could teach us how to live? And when you go to books like First and Second Peter, you learn a little something about how to live in a way that would honor Jesus as we die to ourselves as well. Peter is such a fantastic figure, and I often hear people say, well, of all of the people in the Bible, the one that I resonate most with is Peter. Because sometimes, like Peter, I put my foot in my mouth as well, and it is a big foot. I'm like Peter. Well, I, I don't know if, if we are as like Peter as we sometimes claim to be. But we like to claim it. Peter was a contemporary of Mark. And in point of fact, whenever you read the book of Mark, you are probably reading a lot of content that is um, supplied in some shape or form by Peter because Mark really appreciated and valued Peter. They were colleagues, if you will. And so when we read Mark and when we read Peter and we read these other wonderful epistles, we are impressed with how we ought to be as Christians. In verses 12 through 15 that were read so um, perfectly just a moment ago, it says in the, the very first word of verse 12, it says, wherefore. 
You may have a different translation that says therefore within the first few words it uses that word therefore or wherefore and as we mentioned on Wednesday night this is somewhat of a bridge term it it says okay we've got to connect something so wherefore I will not and then the balance of that content that's here but it doesn't really make sense unless we back up and see what happened just before it so Wherefore, therefore, what is it therefore? Let's, let's bridge a little gap here and go back and look at some of the content just, just prior. In chapter 1, what we're seeing in essence is we're seeing how we grow as the people of God. And how do we do that? Do we grow as God's people in worship? Maybe. Do we grow in, as, as we pray? Maybe. Do we grow just as we walk through life? Maybe. But according to 2 Peter chapter 1, I can say definitely, we grow through knowledge. And the Bible supplies the knowledge that we need for that growth. I want us to begin in the first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I love that verse. It is jam-packed, like every verse pretty much, it is jam-packed with content. Peter is telling us who he is. Not the title that he's wearing, but he's telling us who he is. He is, an, he is a servant, and he's a gopher. He said, where is that? Well, it's right there. He's a servant and a gopher. Well, that's not what my Bible is. My Bible says he's a servant and a pot. No, he's a gopher. That's what the word apostle really means. He was a gopher. He was going for God. He was a gopher for God, and he was a special servant for God. And then he said, you know what? Yeah, I'm a special gopher and a servant, but I'm no better than the rest of you. We're the same. Well, how are we the same? We share faith. We share faith. And we're both striving to be righteous people of God. Do right for God. Immediate connection. I love that. You reckon when you start like that, you're more inclined to listen? As these folks opened up this, this letter from Peter, do you think they'd be more inclined to hear whatever else he has to say when he starts like that? I do. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There's our word knowledge. You might even circle it. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In verse number three, you start to unravel the benefits or the blessings that we have as the righteous faith sharers of God. He's given unto us everything that we need that tells us 
how to live and how to live in a way that would honor God, life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Well, there's our word again, knowledge. You might circle it. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these exceeding great and precious promises you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Alright? We have received something wonderful. These great and precious promises. It allows us to take on something unique. You and I have a responsibility to the very best of our ability to be like God. To be like God. That's not saying that we are becoming God. I, I think some people make that stretch and say, well, I'm like God. We, we, we've got to be like him. In fact, the Bible teaches us, Peter would teach us a little bit early, earlier, he would say, you know, God is holy you be holy like God is holy, and you are chosen, and you are royal, and you are holy, and therefore act like it. He would tell us that in this preceding book. But that's not to say that we are God, that we are our own God, but we are to be like him. And as we take on this knowledge that he supplies for us here, his, his words, we take on this knowledge and the benefits and the blessings that he gives us, verses 3 and 4, we become like God. And therefore, in becoming like him, we need to start growing. Verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Diligence. Whatever he says next means it's not going to be easy. It's going to take work. If, if you studied the Bible with someone and they said, okay, I'm going to baptize you, and when you, once, you, once you're baptized and you get out of that, that watery grave, we kind of call it a watery grave sometimes because of Romans 6, 2, and 3. It's not, really, it's not really a dirt grave, but there's water behind me if you're not familiar with the churches of Christ and what's sometimes behind the preacher. Uh, it is a baptistry. We call it a watery grave because you're buried in water, and when you come out of that water, you're raised to walk a new life. You're a new creature in Christ. And so, if somebody told you that when you're baptized, you get out of that, life is easy. They were either just flat out lying to you, or they were, well, they were probably just lying to you. I bet they had a good heart, though. I bet it wasn't intentional. But in reality... I doubt anybody ever told you that. Because anybody with a lick of common sense realizes that just because you're baptized and, and, and you choose to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. There's still going to be struggles. There's still going to be challenges. And especially as you are intent on doing your very best to live for Jesus. Because let's face it, we sometimes surround ourselves with people that just don't care about Jesus the way that we are trying to care about Jesus. And so that makes it even harder. 
And so give diligence. All right, give diligence to what? I'm going to tell you. To add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. If you turned on the television this morning, and some of you probably don't turn the television on on Sunday because you don't want your mind corrupted before you go to worship. But maybe you turned on your television this morning and uh, you put on uh, In Search of the Lord's Way with Phil Sanders. Maybe, maybe you did that. I didn't even know it was on in the area, but it is. Uh, just I haven't probably paid attention, but I turned the television on and there it was. And he was talking about, at least in part, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And he was outlining these, what we kind of call the Christian graces or virtues. Add to your faith virtue to virtue and knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience, well, there's our word, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, or agape love, sacrificial love. Growth. Growth in becoming more like God. Now, in verses 8 through 11, when the growth begins to develop, you know what you start to become? You start to become a mature Christian. A mature Christian. The Bible at times we'll talk about how that after our becoming a Christian we need to grow toward maturity and we don't need to stay the Hebrews writer would talk about this we don't need to stay a new convert we don't need to stay over here as a new baby Christian we we don't need to keep drinking milk but we need to we need to get into meat of God's Word and, and that meat helps to develop us in ways that make us stronger as Christians. If, if all I'm doing is I'm stuck in the, in the milk over here, you know, the real basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, then I'm just always going to be a baby Christian. I mean, if I, if I can't get past some of the basics like, well, uh, let's see, baptism, um, uh, the deity of God, uh, heaven and hell, uh, worship. If I can't get past some of these fundamentals, then I'm never going to grow up as a Christian. Now, the milk is important. These doctrines are important. And they don't change just because we grow up. They're always there. They're always with us. And we go back and we revisit them from time to time. But we we got to grow as well. Now, read with me verse 8. And this is what I just said is going to be interesting. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. There's our word again. Circle it. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore? The rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. 
For if ye do these things, what things? Everything that he's just been talking about. All of these grow-up items. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So let's see what happens if we, if we persist in an effort to be mature. Well, verse 8 says that we have a fruitful life. We have a fruitful life. A life that's worth it. God, Jesus, they make life worth the living. And when we choose to be diligent and our walk with the Christ to, to grow up in Jesus, then we have a life that's fruitful. Verse 10, we have eternal salvation. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. When we grow up in Jesus, when we try to be mature Christians and not just stay little baby Christians, then we are assuring ourselves of eternal salvation. Number three, also in verse number 10. We make our calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. What's he saying? He's saying if we grow up, and we don't always stay little baby Christians, but if we grow up into becoming mature Christians, it keeps us faithful. Revelation 2 and verse 10. And then one more. Look at verse number 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have heaven promised to us. If we don't stay over here as little baby Christians, but we, we grow and we mature in Christ. We cannot be a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years and a 40-year-old Christian can't look like a two-year-old Christian. Can't. Cannot. We are to grow up in Christ. And as we grow up in Christ, we have that full confidence. And it's a daily process. We have that full confidence in the everlasting kingdom. Say, well, everlasting kingdom, maybe that's talking about the church. No, it's not talking about the church. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's coming a point in time when Jesus shall put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last minute shall be destroyed is death. And when he defeats the enemy of death on that last great day, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, he's going to put down rule and authority over his kingdom. He's not going to be the king of the kingdom anymore. He's going to put that down. And this everlasting kingdom is a reference to heaven. In verse 12, wherefore? Ah, now because we have all this. Wherefore? I'm not going to be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Which ones? The ones we just talked about. Though you know them and be established in the present truth. Remember what Jesus said? You should know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as, I've got, as long as I'm in this 
This physical tabernacle. What's he saying? He's not, not talking about a church meeting place. He's talking about his body. We see that same language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. As long as he is in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. One of these days, I'm going to put off the tabernacle. One of these days, I'm going to die. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease, after my death, after my departure, to have these things always in remembrance. I want you to always remember what made you a mature Christian. I want you to always remember your faith, your virtue, your knowledge, your temperance, your patience, your godliness, your kindness, your love. I want you to always remember those things. And, and I want you to remember that you have to go back and you have to revisit those things because that's a part of the growing process. Because there are some days that, that you may lack one of those ingredients. So you've got to go back and revisit it. And then I want you to remind yourself as I'm reminding you now, I want you to remind yourself that when you grow as a Christian, you're going to be fruitful. And you have the confidence of eternal salvation. And, and you have the, the reality that the likelihood of your falling is just not there because you're growing as a Christian. And you have promised heaven. Verse number 12 underlined the phrase, in the present truth. Truth. And I decided I would jot down a few things about, about that truth that I want you to know. Number one, the truth can be found if you're willing to look for it. The truth can be found if you're willing to look for it. There are a lot of people saying kind of different ends of the spectrum here. Some people are saying they have all the truth about everything. I mean, if there's something you don't know, then you just ask them because they know about all of it. They have absolute truth. And then there are folks on the other end of the spectrum who are saying, I don't think you know truth at all. I, I, I don't have any knowledge of truth. I, I don't know truth. Truth is something that is that item that we constantly are searching for, but we never discover it. That's what people, some people in higher education would say. You, you could keep searching for it, but you're never going to find the truth. But Jesus, who's the chief educator, he said you can know the truth. In fact, you better know the truth. Because only the truth can make you free. Number two, the truth can be believed 
But you also have to obey it. You and I can, can take this book, the Bible, and we can open it up, and we can read it, as one brother said, from kiver to kiver, or cover to cover. You can read the whole thing, and you can believe it. And you can stop right there. Well, that's not going to get you to heaven. That's not going to get you in the right relationship with God. And that's not going to get you into Christ. And that's not going to get you into Christ's church. And it's not going to make you successful as a child of God in this life by just believing what you read. But you've got to do better than that. Look with me in Romans chapter 2. Leave your finger in 2 Peter. But look at Romans chapter 2. He's just gone through a, 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 a list of, of transgressions at the end of chapter 1. And he says in verse 32 of chapter 1, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit these items are worthy of death, not only that do the same, but those that have pleasure in them that do them. Therefore, you're inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. There's our word. It's according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, and thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent Heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. To just know the truth, to just believe the truth, having read the truth, is going to cause us to not be able to escape the judgment and the wrath of God, according to verse number 8. You see, it's not enough just to believe the truth. But we have to believe the truth and Obey it. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse number 7, Paul said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Was it your spouse? Was it your job? Was it the world? Was it a brother or sister in Jesus? What hindered you? that ye should not obey the truth. 
in 2 Peter 1 and verse 13. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, I'm going to stir you up, and I'm going to put you in remembrance to obey the truth. Number three. The truth prepares us for death and life. It prepares us for death and life. We started out the lesson, thanks to Wayne's thoughts for our introduction. We started out the lesson with life and then death. You're born to die. We end this lesson with the truth teaches us how to die so that we can live. In eternity. I want to close with John's words in John chapter 21. Jesus' words, of course, but John records them for us. Jesus has just engaged in that conversation with guess who? Peter, Simon. And he says in verse 18, I say unto you, verily, verily, most assuredly, I say unto you, when you were young, you gird yourself and walked whither you would, but when you were old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will gird you and carry you whither you would not. And he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. In verse number 19, what Peter is doing is he's, or what John is recording for us about Peter is that Jesus is talking to him about the martyr's death that he's going to die. Peter's going to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And Jesus is telling him, I'm going to be there with you. Every day is a day in which we are preparing ourselves to die. We're living right now. But every day of our lives is a day that we're preparing ourselves to die. You say that sounds morbid. It's really not, if you think about it. For those who are younger, ask an older, faithful child of God if that thought is morbid or if that thought is wonderful is glorious is special is hopeful you see a child of God who's been faithful for some time or hardly any time. Either they found the Lord late in life or they were restored to the Lord later in life. Uh, 
But as, as the sun begins to set on their life, and they realize that they're going to be entering into that timeless side of life, they know it won't be very long. They can connect with these words that Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 1, 12-15. And they are thankful for the reminder that they get weekly, maybe from sermons or Bible classes. They're thankful for the reminder that they get when they engage in interaction with other Christians. They're thankful for the reminder that they get from reading the Word itself. They thank, they're thankful for the reminder that they get because of people that, that care enough to talk to them about Jesus and the life. To, they're thankful that coming soon, they're going to live. They're going to live. It's not morbid at all. It's not negative talk. It's not discouraging. It's not sad. It's really what we're doing it for. This, here we are, but what? Straying pilgrims. Here our paths are often dim. To help us on this journey, we sing a wayside hymn. We're here singing about where we're going because we realize this is not where we want to stay. Are you a faithful child of God? If you're not, think about it. You know what to do. We've said it. We've already said what you have to do to get rid of your sins. You've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. And then you've got to be faithful. That's, that's where it starts to get hard. But you know what? We're here to constantly put one another in remembrance of what we're doing it for. And that's because we have something far better over there. Think about it. This morning's invitation is yours. Make it so as together we stand and as we sing.